because really a two-sided marketplace succeeds when the, the people on both sides are excited to connect with each other. The whole point is the company should really just be an invisible force in that conversation. And if you kind of go into it with that, which is how do you connect people, but you yourself don't have to take along a lot of the burden of making them connect or convincing them that it's a good idea they connect, then it's going to be a much easier journey for you because there's going to be a lot less resistance. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 55 of Business Therapy. This is the show where every week, Jonathan and I bring on uh, real professionals to talk about real business challenges. This week on the show, we're happy to invite Christina. How are you doing? Welcome to the show, Christina. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. And Christina's coming on the show to talk a little bit more about her company and the challenges uh, with the two, a two-sided marketplace challenge. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you, Christina, to get started. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your company, and then the challenge that you wanted to talk about on the show today? Sure. Hi, everyone. Christina, I just graduated from University of Richmond this May, and I'm during a gap semester and will attend Columbia University in the spring. So I founded Foodipass, which is an online marketplace that allows people to provide and purchase home-cooked meals for pickup and dine-in. The whole idea was rooted from my own 14 years old and came to the United States by myself. I could barely speak any English and feel really disconnected to the local communities. Um, but at that point, one of my classmates invited me to their Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, from that point, food has been the best way for me to make connections with others. And started in college, I began to invite strangers and my friends to my own apartment to learn how to make dumplings and enjoy authentic Chinese food. And I was majoring in entrepreneurship management. In my senior year, one of my professors encouraged me to turn that to a business idea. That's how Foodipass got started. We originally started in Richmond as a food experience marketplace, which allows people to provide food experiences like cooking class, um, tea class, dining experience, and food tours. And when we moved to New York, we realized that there is a higher need uh, for pickup meals that people could provide, which is easier for both sides. And right now we are um, mainly focused on New York market. Great. Thank you. And what is the challenge that you wanted to talk about today in relation to your, to your company idea? Yeah, sure. So since we are two-sided marketplace, um, it is hard to balance how to grow both sides. And we've learned that network effect is very effective to um, grow them together. And we want to know that how to leverage limited capitals and manpower to do so. Okay, great. And before we jump into that, though, I'd like to ask a few more questions about the company, because I think it's a fascinating idea. And I want to know a little bit more details about how you guys are, are thinking about it mechanically. So right now you're in New York. And you talked about how it's a two sided marketplace where uh, around pickup meals. I guess talk to me a little bit more about what are the two sides of the market and what are the actual mechanics of the process? Do people make food? Do they package it? How do people purchase it? I guess give us a little more of the details you're thinking. Absolutely. So for the host, uh, for people who cook for themselves or for two people, um, the scenario is people always make extra food and the extra food ended up in the refrigerator. And 70% of the time, the food in the refrigerator actually going to the trash. So instead of throwing that into the trash, 
people now can sell that to someone who don't want to cook and who think eating out is too expensive. That's our guest side. So we do vet screening for all our hosts who wish to sell their regular cooked home-cooked meals. And after the tasting, the background check, and photo shooting, we will leave them on our website. And then the guests could find those options on our website when they are available. Mm-hmm. So is the idea just a, I, I think it's a, I think it's a cool idea. So I'm gonna ask a few more questions just of my own interest uh, before we get started. Of so course. if we, is, is the idea that if I'm the, if I'm the person, I'm the host, I'm the person cooking on a week to week basis, am I expected to post the same meal? And like, I would cook, let's say spaghetti dinner for five and I only have one person in my house and I would do that at the same time every week. Or is there a commitment to produce a certain amount or in a certain type of food? How does that work from a host perspective? Uh, there's no time commitment at all. You can up, update your schedule anytime. Your your restaurant will be on our app and website all the time. But when you are available, you it will show that your restaurant is open and what is available to pick up. Um, so you can offer a different meal, different dishes um, based on what you cook on that day. Okay. And then do I have any responsibility to package or how does the actual picking up work and the payment work? So right now, because we are not operating as a real business because of our visa status, mm-hmm. uh, the guests will pay the um, host directly when they make the reservation. Um, and that's the final confirmation. So the hosts are also um, responsible for packaging them. Um, like put them in a plastic box or a paper box and hand it to the guests at, at a designated location. It could be like in front of your house or somewhere near your house. It depends mm-hmm. on how you feel. Okay. And then, so from the guest side, they're just going and they're looking in their neighborhood and saying, Hey, there's some extra home cooked meals for a good price tonight. And all I have to do is go over to that person's apartment or their, or their place or the designated location. Just grab it. Yes. yes. Okay. And so I have some questions also, uh, what explain what you've done already. So you, you're in a new location, but what, uh, to what extent have you grown this network? So right now we have about 50 hosts who are ready to post their experience on the website. We have about 30 hosts on our website already. And on the guest side, we are growing a little bit slower. We have about 60 guests in the past and some repetitive, um, retention rate, but not very high. So that's why we are struggling with. But that's on the website, but have you had these events before uh, with a sufficient number of guests and, and, and hosts, you know, that balance in a, in a specific geography? Um, in New York, not yet. Uh, we had that in Richmond. Um, okay. So the need that people want home cooked meals you're getting that from what? From your prior experience, from people telling you how is like uh, how are you measuring uh, from that? From the need? interviews with friends, with strangers, just randomly talking with people in the dog parks. Yeah. Got it. Great. So then that that definitely gives me and Jonathan, I'm sure, a lot more detail. Now I want to go back to your challenge. So the challenge you said right now is growing the hosts, growing the guests. You said both. I guess give us a little more detail about what you feel like you're challenged with right now. What's blocking you in the business? Yeah. So I'm the only person who is working full-time 
um, on this business. I have a lot of great friends who are just helping, but they are all in the school. So it's kind of hard for me to grow both sides at the same time. But it's very essential because if we have 100 hosts, but only 10 of them is getting orders, 90 of them will leave very soon. Um, but right now, I don't feel like a balance to how, how should I allocate my time between finding hosts and guests? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's from specific examples of there not being enough or enough uh, 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 registered with the website or? Um, yes, not enough people sign up as guests right now. Um, so we actually got a lot of applications from hosts and we have a hard time to processing all of them um, in a short amount of time. And by having that problem, we don't even have the time to develop the guest side. Mm -hmm. When you were developing guests in Richmond, tell us a little bit more about how you were successful in doing that. So we mainly use social media, email marketing, and corporate um, institution partnerships. Um, and we are also partner with like uh, international rescue community uh, who bring their hosts, who bring their refugees um, to become our hosts, and people want to support that. Uh, we also have. Um, students from U of R and VCUs who just want to support your friends and book experience on our website, uh, people who learn us from word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then in New York, you've got this idea and you had some success in Richmond. You're trying to replicate this guest network, but it sounds like the biggest challenge is you're running out of time or you just don't have the capacity because you've got a lot of great interest from the host side. So let me ask you this and just, this is more just so I can pick your brain on the ideas you had. If you had a whole team, or you didn't have any time or capacity issues, what activities would you be doing right now to, to generate guests in New York? Uh, first, I think we should go talk with more guests for us to understand what, like what our ideal guests or target customers look like specifically, like the, um, their age range and what they do so we can target them better. Um, right now, we just have a very vague idea out of imagination. We are thinking about young professionals and students who want to spend very few dollars on the meal, but we are not sure about that. Mm -hmm. So research is definitely a part of it. And then let's say you knew the exact correct demographic or you knew the right persona. What activities would you do or you've done in the past? Like, do you have an idea of what you would actually do to go out and start to engage with these folks? Yeah, at least at least set up a couple stands at Union Square, Washington Square, Columbus Circle, and doing sending out some flyers, talking with people, asking them to sign up, and doing some referral programs that pe each person get ten dollars um, off for next orders, and design programs like that to attract more guests. Mm -hmm. And the meals could be any kind of meal. Like there's, it doesn't matter what cuisine, it doesn't matter like uh, what time, it doesn't matter age group, uh, common interests, like it, none, nothing matters. Like it's just anyone who wants to come for a home cooked yes. meal. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. The, the idea scenario is uh, when you open our app, there will be 10 people cooking your own apartment building or on the same blocks. So you can choose whatever you want. Yeah. 
I'm smiling because it sounds Got really it. delicious. I wish when I lived in New York City that was an option because that would have been a, that would have been fun. People home cooked meals are they have their own their own flair. But in any case, so I want to go back and visit. You know, you said you were a challenger. There's a problem. It seems like you have a very clear idea of what you would do if you had more time. So I think you said, how do I build more guests? That doesn't seem to be your challenge because it seems like you have a pretty sound strategy and a good execution process to go out and do it. Would it be more that your challenge is that you just don't have the resources? I guess what is actually blocking you? Because, you know, like I said, you seem like you've thought it out well and we could talk about what we would do in theory, but that doesn't seem to be your problem. Is that right? I think you are right. Yes. So talk to us a little bit more about the resources you have and maybe where the actual problem lies. Like you said, you don't have time. Let's let's maybe focus in there a little bit, because it sounds mm-hmm. like if you had more resources, you would know what you'd want to do. Yes. Um, so it is very tricky because my visa standards, we couldn't really operate as a business. Um, I was in contact with a couple of VCs back in Virginia, and some of them expressed interest, but we had no luck in New York yet. So I was thinking about maybe I should develop it more before reaching out to more of the VCs um, to raise money and to acquire full-time staff. Mm-hmm. So right right now, go ahead, Jonathan. You, we're going to jump in. No, no, I was going to get into like I have I have, I have some dire- direct advice, uh, but if there's more information to pull, then uh, – um, well, I was just saying on. that I think because the real challenge is, and we're getting to it, it's, you, you know, Christina, you have a very direct plan. You've had success in the past. I think the real challenge is how do we, the stage you're at in your business right now, you have a lot going on and there's a lot of different things that can take your time and your energy. And especially if you're starting to feel this imbalance building of, oh, I have a lot of hosts. I have a lot of interests. We know this is a great concept, but you're having trouble finding guests. I don't think the problem, again, is how to find the guests. It's how do you create the time? and the resources, given your size right now, and your visa challenges, your funding challenges, those things, to create positive momentum. Because it can be very easy to lose focus on, I have all these hosts, and now I just need to match 100 hosts with 500 guests. But from where you're sitting, it seems like there's more of a scale and a resource issue than a, than a how or a, a process issue. And that's where I think I would take the conversation. We do have some advice for that. But I'll, I'll throw it over to Jonathan first because you already have some – you're chomping at the bit to give some direct advice. So I think it would be great. Let's start there. So so I think that you've definitely thought a lot through and it's amazing that you've had an experience already where this has worked. But you don't really know fully your network. So you don't fully know your ideal host, your ideal guest, what these different people might want, what might connect them, what problems they might have or – what might prevent somebody for, from doing it? You, you have some experience, but it's right now, it seems like your scope of what you're trying to grow or do is everything. So in other words, like all of New York, you know, so New York is a very, very big, big, you know, obviously a, a, a big place. And, you know, most people, when they're thinking of network effect, they're thinking it at the level of, in, in your case, like at the, at the highest scope of the business. So it's anyone who might want to cook a meal, Four people, strangers. That's a big, that could be potentially a big group of people, but uh, and anyone who might want a home cooked meal. And then there's some input that people want lower priced food. Well, 
you know, that's a, that market is, has, you know, is way beyond even the network that you're creating. Like it's anyone who wants a low cost home cooked meal, like that almost could be its own uh, business. So when you just think of the potential number of people that could be in this network, it's tremendous. So I think even if you had a team of 20 people, like you, you'd be under a lot of strain to be able to manage it. If in fact, you were able to do all the marketing, all the advertising, and you started getting a flood of people. Um, so, and the problem there is you will, you will have so much input coming at you, you won't be able to learn from the experience. So you won't be able to say what's, you know, the ideal host or what makes for the, the best experience that then makes people want, you know, say, oh, you should do this to other people, which is really the best way to, you know, grow this kind of thing. Because it's a very intimate experience, obviously, somebody's home home cooked food, food, et cetera, that, et cetera. You also don't know potentially all the potential health concerns that could come up. You know, you know, we just had COVID. So, you know, that that's a whole nother layer, but you know, there's, there's many different layers to it, especially when you get to a city that's as regulated as New York city, um, you know, things will surprise you. So my suggestion would be that you look for a, a smaller scope. You, you start a network at a much smaller scope so that you can learn. And this, I would give you the advice, even if it was a huge group, because I think everybody looks at Airbnb, Uber, and says network effect, you know, but they went through a lot of pain and a lot of money that I, I don't know, you know, with all that you have going on, you know, is, is, is even necessary. And especially now, what people expect of a network or an online marketplace or anything like that, it's very, very, um, uh, very much customized and tailored to a very specific experience. You're already very customized and tailored to a specific experience. So, you know, the, the bar would be even higher. So my suggestion is you look for a very specific neighborhood, a specific group of people that might want to, you know, come together, maybe, you know, um, uh, you know, new parents or like something that ties people together that then would want to make them socialize because, that's, you know, why you would have guests who would start, start growing. And then it also allows you to target, let's say, just in my example, you would target schools. So you'd say, like, you go to schools, I have this great thing. You know, your schools are always trying to get parents involved and things like that. Um, this would be a good, you know, we, we can create the framework for it so that this happens. And then you can get on to local blog, um, not blogs, uh, chat groups, which is really where people, if they're looking for things to do or who knows what it's the, those local chat groups. They're not thinking of a, a specific demographic, of course, you know, but it's much more specific than social media, you know, social media that's going to everybody, you know, at least everybody, it depends where you, you know, where you're putting anyone who speaks English. So obviously that's a, a small, actually a small group of people worldwide, but still it's a, um, a very large group. So you, you, again, my advice would be to try and do what you did in Richmond, which might've happened organically because it was a smaller area and uh, kind of keep, create some constraints so that you have more of a specific person in mind for each of your, uh, the, the people in the network and you can test things and learn from them, iterate. And then when you have a successful model, you can Got grow it. it out. Thank you. That totally makes sense. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, Christina, please. Uh, would love you to reflect or ask a question if you have one about what Jonathan just said. Yes. So um, I'm thinking about it because we tried to do that. Um, originally, when I just came to New York, we tried to just focus on like Union Square area because I live there. But we found such a hard time to 
reach out to a group of people who are living in that area besides sending out flyers directly. Um, but that's so the problem is, is like Union Square in New York. Any people who are coming into Union Square at any given time may or may not be from Union Square. And that's the case for anywhere in New York. So for every flyer you're handing out, you know, I don't know what percentage is throwing it out because they're going, they're heading to the subway to head out to the, you know, suburbs or whatever, whatever it is that they're doing. That's why I'm saying if you create a smaller uh, a target profile of people that you're looking for, then you could start thinking, where would these particular people be? That's why I use the example of people who just put kids in school or something like that, because then you're tying that profile to a very specific location and a specific activity that they might be doing. And the more your scope, the smaller your scope, and luckily it's New York City. So even if you created a lot of constraints, you're going to get, it could be a very large population, but then you'd figure out who's actually tied to this particular area. And then instead of doing generic kind of advertising, you do much more specific. It take more work to get into those groups, but like a local gym, you know, people aren't, you know, likely aren't, you know, taking a subway to get to the gym, especially there's so many gyms, you know, so, you know, maybe it's people who like healthy eating, you know, but what I'm saying is think of the things that tie people to a geographic area and uh, target those kind of things based on uh, the profile that you're creating. Exactly. Thank you so much. And, and I'm going to add, I'm going to, I want to add now just a few thoughts because it's a big topic. And what Jonathan started to say, what I want to tease out and then build upon is the reducing your scope, because mm -hmm. I want to use this to answer your networking effect question also. And I think there's a few things you've got going on here where you're blocked, but the idea that you have a hundred hosts and now you have to go out there and make a hundred guests. That's where you're, I think you've lost, you've lost track a little bit and you've lost track of this idea that when you're building a two-sided marketplace, you can't build one side without the other. And then it gets into this crazy situation where you did a really good job or it might've been easier, or you had a bunch of momentum from when you did this in another area and you let one side get out of control. And now you're feeling like, oh, I have to somehow build a huge amount to make up for it. But it's actually, you know, I would caution and, and the advice that Jonathan gave of reducing your scope is, is where I would advise too. Because you, when you talk about networking effect, you can't have people, networking effect is to me the sort of idea that if you have good value from your business or your experience, you can get organic growth because people who experience that, that value and they have a good positive experience, they will share with others around them. So when you say, how do we start to cultivate network effect? There's no experience to cultivate. And that's the challenge that you're having because you have only one side of your two-sided marketplace. So then we talked about, well, how do you do that? You're just one person and you've got all of these guests you need to get to match the side of the market and you don't have the capacity or the resources. You've got to, you've got to almost contract. Like it's very exciting that you had a lot of, of buildup on one side. But if you think to yourself, Okay, let me contract and like like Jonathan said, let's target a very a smaller group that you can manage with your current resources and let's have 5 or 10 hosts have really great experiences with 15 or 20 guests. Because from there, you can start scaling that actual experience. That is the actual process that you're selling. You're not going to be able to sell or scale or harvest any network effect when you don't have an experience yet to sell. 
And I think that's the, that's the part where people get lost in it because you think I could have a great experience for 500 people, but why don't you start having a great experience for five people and then mm-hmm. 10 people? And then when you have the actual process working with the smallest group you can manage, then you can actually start to give them promotions or incentives to tell their friends or to scale from there. But you're not going to be able to go from zero to 500 with a one person team. And I think that's where you're, you're, you're running into some roadblocks and thinking, well, how can I use resources I don't have? How can I canvas all of Union Square with one person? Do I need to get funding? But really what we're forgetting is you as a single person, you already have the app. You've done a lot of great work. You have the infrastructure focused on curating the smallest amount of experiences at the quality level you want, and then try to expand it and scale it from that. Um, because mm. that's how you're going to you like that's how networking effect can even be a possibility for you and your business. Um, but you're not you don't need to start at 500 people's worth of networking effect. Start smaller. Um, so hopefully, does does that resonate with you? Yes. Yes. Totally. You you also have uh, a much larger population that you need for one of the groups. So if you if you're attracting the hosts then I, I don't know what it is that's attracting them, um, but it's good to identify that. But that obviously means you need to focus on the other population. And Sam was you know, speaking about value. You know, so if people are just looking to get together, you know, I, I imagine that there are other net, networks like that, you know, uh, th- that exist. You're looking for a very specific experience though. And if you think back to what made you start this, that actually can paint a road for you to actually start doing what we're talking about in terms of scoping. It's people who might feel alone or might feel unconnected or like uh, um, that, that there's experiences that they're missing uh, because they're coming from somewhere else. Now, New York is a great place for that, even better yeah. than you know Richmond. So if you identify, okay, who like me is in this situation and what might they want? What experience would be good for them? It's not just eating the food, you know, it's other people who are interested in the food. It's uh, maybe even a very specific kind, um, you know, like, so it's, it's a, you know, cuisines, you know, you could have a broad topic, but, you know, if you're really coming from a location, you know, then it's just not like, just name the country and that's the cuisine, you know, that's crazy, you know, like, it's very specific depending on where you're coming from. So now you could start thinking, okay, maybe it's students, you know, maybe it's, you uh, you know, or people that were transferred here from other countries, uh, um, uh, you know, for a job or something like that. And then you say, okay, what, where do these people, what, what connects these people? Again, then maybe it's schools, you know, so that, now you're looking for schools and schools are always looking, the, the worst scenario for schools is people who don't stay enrolled. And one of the reasons people don't stay enrolled is they miss home, you know, so uh, that's, you know, you could, that's, that's a, yourself. But my point is, if you could just think about what specific value, what experience are you trying to cultivate here, that'll start you off. You might end up being the worldwide person, you know, that creates this network, you know, for anyone who wants to do home-cooked meals and get low-cost, you know, food, et cetera. But I guarantee you, starting like that mm-hmm. will crush you. It's just too much. You know, you can't solve the problem of low-cost uh, home-cooked meals for people, like, a- as your, you know, starting point. It's just way too broad. You can create that for a specific group of people, a scoped, you know, uh, group of people. And then from that success, have enough information about what are the factors and what's most important 
that then, you know, you would know how to scale. You'd know like, where do I need more people to make this happen, et cetera. But for right now, I would strongly suggest you start from why you started and what would give you that meaning, especially if you're so spread out anyway, you know, between all the things that you have going on right now, it, the best thing for you is keep the connection to the energy that started this. Keep the connection to you, giving that experience that made, meant so much to you, to other people. Like that is something that will give you energy and keep you invested in this and interested. But if you have to deal with any kind of issue that could exist from creating a network, that will be exhausting very quickly. God, thank you so much. I think I, I totally agree. And I think maybe I should start with finding students at NYU because I live right on their campus. So grab students from Chipotle on their campus and asking them if they want to buy cheap home-cooked meals yeah. and make them the first time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I was just going to say, that's a great instinct. And, you know, part of what Jonathan is saying is he's keeping it close to you, keep it close to home. It's not a problem to keep it, make it easy. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, there's this narrative that you have to, it's going to be hard and it's going to be painful. And like, you're going to have to really scramble and do a bunch of things you don't like. But when in reality, that's just a grind you can avoid. If you walk out of your door in the morning and you are right next to the Chipotle, like your instinct to say, start there, follow the path of least resistance, because that's going to help you generate more time. Because if you have to go out of your way or you have to build energy to do something you don't want to do, or you have to travel and just like canvas Union Square, that can be very draining. So start, like you said, like you just said, start small, start local and start with something where you can prove out the experience again in New York. And then once you've got the thing and you're seeing it working, then worrying about growing it because doing what you're doing now, it's like, yeah, it's a lot of people are not present with their resources. The first thought, and you came onto the show and said, well, I've thought about funding. I've thought about getting more resources, but you don't have the resources now. So you can't build a company with a scale with resources you don't have. And a lot of people get into that trap. And if you just think, okay, what do I have now exactly? How much time in the day? How much capital do I have? And it could be very minimal. But if you think about how you could create a high quality experience with what you have, start there and don't cast into the future because the future will come from doing everything you can efficiently in the now. Does that make sense? Um, yes, yes, totally. The other, the other benefit of having uh, it very scoped and scoped to something to you is you start to surface all the assumptions that people may or may not have. So some people, if they think of a home-cooked meal somewhere, they have a very specific idea of what, what that experience might be, what the other people that are there might be, et cetera. And then if it really deviates from, from what's in their, their head, then... Obviously, it'll be hard if, or if they're not happy, then, you know, that, that, that's hard to, to, to grow the network. So the more specific you are about what it is that the experience that you're cultivating to start anyway, the more you're going to surface that. So, for example, is it the smells, you know, like this, you know, the sense of the food that suddenly gives you that warmth? Is it seeing other people in a similar circumstance to you or do people not care who else is there? You know, or they want somebody who's in a totally different circumstance. Are they coming there to network? Are they coming there to socialize? Are they coming there, you know, et cetera. But the more specific you are about what the experience is, the more you're going to naturally be able to get in their minds about what it is that you're trying to grow. And then marketing, uh, um, you know, like all the different things that you're thinking of doing become very specific 
and don't become like big, like what Sam was saying, which is like, you know, we have to advertise for hosts, you know, like that just, it's a, or, or guests, sorry. It's just a very big uh, task, you know, but it's, we have to advertise for this kind of a guest who lives in this location. Ah, now that's a solvable problem. So we, we've been throwing a lot at you. What are you, what are you thinking now? Do you have any follow-up questions before we keep just th throwing ideas? Yeah, I have more questions. Like specifically, if I, for example, if I'm going to a Chipotle, should I talk? Should I try to recruit everyone to become our guests, or should I have a mindset of what kind of people I want to be our guests and then go talk with them? Mm -hmm. So I have a, I have a take on this, and it kind of follows up to my previous question, which is, I would start with whatever's easiest for you, and that mm -hmm. may seem like a lazy answer. But in a way, it's actually what I consider the best process for an entrepreneur of limited resources, which is if you want to go to the Chipotle and it would be easy for you to just talk to people who are near you and fish whoever comes up and then they could be your original guest. And then to Jonathan's point, you even can have the option to talk to them more about what they would want the service to look like. Like when you're small, you can spend more time actually canvassing customer feedback and having those, those intimate interactions. But in general, if you think, okay, my target is to get 10 guests that is just people I talk to on my normal day. That could be a good starting point because you can make all the, you could sit and make all the plans about who is the right target, even at a very small scope. But if, if it ends up being hard or they don't show up or you start to not like keep an open opportunity based on what's happening around you, you may end up just limiting yourself more than is necessary. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's a good and a bad problem that almost anyone could be a target customer because everyone eats. So like, like Jonathan, a lot of his advice is around, well, let's get really specific, but really specific could be whoever is on my path of least resistance, where I could actually be consistent and actually actually put in the energy. That could be your first demographic, for example. And that's like you setting a target, but the target is also realistic versus trying to come up with something in your head and then trying to force your process and your reality to come up with that outcome. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. And, and some of where I was coming from is when you're starting a new service, you know, especially you, you, your target ultimately can't be people who have done this before, you know, like you're doing this, like people don't have this experience before. So there's always a trap of getting too much input. So I always recommend, you know, for a startup, get as much input before you spend any money, you know, no, no question. But the problem is that the input you're getting right now would be, very broad in terms of what people think they might want, but you're creating something, a new need for people or a new solution for people that they don't even know that they may want right now or understand fully. So that's why I always think it's better to have something to interrogate that that's, that's already thought through rather than at this point, take on board everything that people might tell you that they might want from an experience that they've never tried before and haven't done. Whereas once you've done several of these uh, events in, in, in New York, because it's a different, you know, there's, there's other factors that, that go on. Now you have better data because it's not based on what people, because you're making two leaps right now from people. If I, if I was willing to attend an event like this, what would I want? That, that's too, too much. But if it's, I attended this event and now I could tell you what I thought of the experience, 
that's that's not two leaps. And then that in, that information is much more valuable. That's why I'm trying to jumpstart you toward not worrying about how to create the network or how to create you know a sustainable uh, input of, of 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 different people you know who need to participate. It's yeah, do what you can to in a small area get this done a few times because now you're going to have so much information about where your time is most valuable, what the what people's experiences really were like. And you also see that if people have a good experience, they're going to want more. And then you're going to have a natural uh, um, uh, group of people because people ideally aren't going to come to one home-cooked meal. That's the end of their story. You know, like, in other words, if this is a good experience, they might want this at least once a month or once a week. So the network starts taking care of itself, at least, you know, in terms of a local jurisdiction, but if it's not specific and you're just getting a lot of input, you're going to spend so much time building it before you even, you know, like that you're never going to get around to actually uh, doing it, if that makes yeah. sense. And I'll throw in one more quick point on that because you were talking about how do you, you know, I know you came on, you have an interest in this networking effect and how do I build the network? A lot of times founders get into the trap of feeling like they have to pretend they have this very robust service. And this is sort of related to what Jonathan's talking about, where if you're going out and saying, let me find my first group at the Chipotle or just the people around me, and I'm going to put up a front that I have this great service that's already been established, they're going to engage with it, they're going to give me feedback on it. That's actually more of a mentality of I'm a company and I'm just trying to provide a service and get people to give me feedback on the service versus creating a network, creating a tribe. And what I mean by this is you don't have to be afraid at this stage to be very, very honest with people about where you're at and what you're looking for. And this is something that New York is actually great for because you can guarantee there's so many people, there's a little bit of everything for everybody. So if you went down to the Chipotle as an example of what I'm saying and said, I'm a starting company, I'm trying to build this experience, I would love for people who are interested in helping me and being like first customers who are willing to have like a free trial to give me feedback, to like be part of this journey because there's nothing better than starting a network than making people feel like they're they're contributing, not only to the service, but also contributing ideas. They become sort of your founding members. Like even if you went out with a little flyer that said, become a founding member of Foodie Path, mm -hmm. give your input and really help connect with the company. If those people, they may be more of a niche, but if they actually engage in that way, you're creating the beginnings of a very committed and loyal tribe because there's nothing better than creating a network than making people feel like they contributed to the product or service. And people and companies are, are harnessing that power at every level now and scale. So like you don't have to go out there and pretend that you've got this thing and they just need to try it and they need to become a guest. Have them come on as like a like with a founding mentality, like be one of our first group of people who are trying the service. And we'd love to hear from you about how it goes and like take your feedback. Because if you go with that in mind, that's kind of you targeting a persona but also sort of building, looking to build that network because a network is not just people who have great experiences. It's people who feel the community and they feel a sense of something that they can contribute to and have loyalty around. Wow. Yes. I could. That's very helpful. Can imagine someone who might be motivated to come to a meal uh, versus someone who might feel motivated to also help other people who feel alone in the city. Like, now, like that's a mission, you know, so like now you have people who are part of you, you're scaling your mission as opposed to just, uh, and I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry if I'm like, that might not be exactly your mission, but like, I'm, as an example, like I'm trying to tie into your original energy, um, that group of people, that's a lot more likely to spread organically 
than just a meal, you know, because now people are motivated to, yeah. to help. I mean, imagine if I was a student in uh, New York City and I walk into Chipotle and I saw a flyer that said, hey, trying to build a company. I'd love your feedback. I'd love you to try it. And they really feel like, wow, I'd love to. And they start giving feedback. And then just for walking in and getting lunch one day, they become part of the company and they feel like they can have a conversation with you and really contribute. It, it hits all the things all at once. And I think a lot of people just don't have that perspective. They just feel like they have to offer something and keep this, this window between them and the customer. If you really want to get networking effect, get really honest and get really communicative and be very transparent with customers, potential customers even, because the ones that stick with you, then they're going to be real promoters. And that's what you want. Got it. Totally makes sense. I'm going to print out flyers, flyers right after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. And you know, a lot of it is a lot of our message to you today is really if you're starting to feel overwhelmed because you're trying to do something and you just don't feel like you have the time or you don't have the energy, or you don't have the capacity. It's not how do I get all that stuff? It's I'm probably doing the wrong thing. And as an entrepreneur, it's very important to have that alarm in your head, especially as you're starting out, because it's not about what you can't do. Every day should be what about what can you do? What makes you excited to go do it? Because those are going to be the stepping stones that are going to really iterate towards where you your company will go. And as long as you get up each day and you can get excited as a solopreneur, especially, then the company will have the energy to grow. You never should be sitting at your desk trying to figure out how you can do what you don't have the resources or energy to do. Mm, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And one more thing, I just I wanted to squeeze it in here. We're getting close to our time, but there was a bit of a tactical piece for you. Because I said, you know, we, we, we said scope down, scope down and make it easier on yourself. But I know you might be thinking after this call, well, crap, I've got like a hundred hosts that are already pounding at the door to get in there. So I've got a problem there. Something tactical just as, a, as an idea for you is you can always be very open with them too. And you can put them on a wait list. You can say like, we're so grateful that we have all this interest, but there's going to, we're like at least on a three month wait list right now. And we'll get back to you or keep them in the loop let them subscribe to your blog. But I would just really encourage you to gently communicate with them and just close that down for a while and really slow that down until you can kind of get the, get the experience you want at a smaller level. And there's nothing wrong with telling people, you know, this is crazy. We got such a great response from this group of people. We want to keep you like write us with questions or concerns and how we can keep you engaged. But we want to make sure that when we bring you on, we have the network up and you're going to have a great experience. And until then, let's just stay friends basically. And kind of go from there because you don't owe them anything yet. I know it feels so exciting when you have potential customers or a side of the market coming into your door and you want to treat them well. But if you can't, you can't. And you just have to be honest with them and yourself and make sure that when you're focusing on the right things, then you'll get there faster than trying to please them. Like having a two-sided company is not about pleasing everyone constantly. It should be about letting the experience speak for itself. Got it. That's a great idea. Well, I know we've been, I mean, as Jonathan and I had a lot to, to share. Um, we definitely have a few minutes left. Um, how are you feeling now? Is anything on your mind? Uh, this is where I'd really love you to, to share kind of where you're at. I feel great. Like, honestly, I feel my problem has been solved because I was too busy with doing like everything and don't have time to really think about what to do next to like grow it ideally but right now i have a clear path and know how to not like dream myself and like feel overwhelmed that's great 
Yeah. I'll just give an anecdote. You know, when Uber started, they didn't have all the drivers. They didn't have their network. So what they would have to do, you'd call somebody, and instead of it going to some system or they try keeping the face of it right, they were then calling a cab company and then sending somebody and managing that. Like just again, the, the sheer amount of energy that was required and, and cost. And, you know, at the beginning, it's just tremendous. And uh, that's, uh, that takes a, not just commitment, that, that takes a willingness to lose a lot of money and time. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, I don't know that that's even necessary, but like, like Sam was saying, if you create people who are committed to this uh, and, and people who are invested in the idea generally, things might reveal itself on how to scale. Like, how do you find people, maybe a guest who puts together a party, you know, and as long as it's under your brand, it really doesn't matter, you know, if they're doing some of the work or anything like that, and they get a certain, you know, percentage, you know, like that, that's fine. You know, especially if they have, if, if the two of you have a good conception of what you're trying to uh, cultivate here. Yeah. Um, find people but, who want to yeah. build this company and you just facilitate it. That's a good way to think about a two-sided market and building a network, which is you don't have to build the company. You just have to create the, you have to give the idea a channel to connect people and let them have the conversations and facilitate the energy coming together and creating something beautiful. But think of yourself more as a facilitator than having to control everything. And I usually don't make book recommendations on the show, but I would say if you haven't heard of it, the book New Power goes over a lot of concepts around building networks, building this kind of marketplace and connecting with people and getting them excited because really a two-sided marketplace succeeds when the, the people on both sides are excited to connect with each other. The whole point is the company should really just be an invisible force in that conversation. And if you kind of go into it with that, which is how do you connect people, but you yourself don't have to take along a lot of the burden of making them connect or convincing them that it's a good idea they connect then it's going to be a much easier journey for you because there's going to be a lot less resistance. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, this is great. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your idea. Um, I think we have time. Do you have a, a last, a last burning question for us? Uh, not for now, but I'm very, very grateful because I really like got a lot of things from the conversation that we had. Great. Well, we're oh, really wonderful. glad you came on the show. It's an exciting concept. I'm looking forward to when you go big so I can get some homemade food, <laughs> hopefully in my area <laughs> for cheap, but or for more affordable, I should say. Um, but other than that, thanks a lot. And also, if anyone listening, you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. If you know anyone, that would be great to come on to Business Therapy. We'd also love to, to connect with your network. So in that, thank you, Christina. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, John.